Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview uh, non-air quotes real professionals. Uh, we've been having a great spread of uh, super non-air quotes real professionals lately with a number of great indie creators from across the industry, so I, I figured we'd dial that back a bit and go back to the air quotes real professionals with the least professional professionals uh, that I personally know. So uh, we got Dave Oshrayon from uh, New Blood who is, uh, I think his job is Meme Lord, and we'll learn more about that uh, in a second here. So uh, thank you all for joining in today, and uh, DJ, drop that sick beat! Welcome back, everyone. We're here with uh, Dave. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm busy. We got the Steam Summer Sale about to happen. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you guys that, but uh, we're busy over here at the old indie games land. <laughs> well, I mean, I now have uh, access to the Steam backend that tells me when all the sales are, too. <gasps> you know? I know. It's, I think it's the Russians of... leaked it a few weeks ago, anyway. So it's... And it's actually really, like, it's funny that it is, like, even a secret when that's happening, because it's really, like, not that hard to get in enough to know the secrets you know like yeah. it, it, it's not that like if, in order to like learn when the sales are you just have to like have games on steam which is like profoundly easy yeah i had a good friend jesse's also here um but we're also joined again once again by a uh, star over here yay hello yeah, and uh well i figured i'd bring star on because uh she couldn't join us last week for uh the uh the this John Shemansky and uh, Jordan Maki. There we go for conscript. But uh, she's back this week. So how have you been? Uh, really good. We're making stuff behind the scenes, and I'm excited to share when the time is right. Dread X Four. Yeah, I I don't know. It's uh it's kind of funny because uh, that you're like yeah you know we're got I'm really excited to be able to reveal this behind the scenes stuff when I'm just like talking about it on the pod because. Uh, I have like no sense of like dis like keeping things secret. No, you need a little bit. Yeah, I'm just, definitely making your smidge. job. Making your job <laughs> really difficult. Um, yeah, especially if I tell like streamers that they need to follow embargo, and then you're just like, screw it. <laughs> I'll be very like disturbed. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, okay, so here's here's my take on all of this. Uh, which is following, like, creating a, a strong embargo for, for press is one thing, but trying to make it so that, like, we have operational security when we have, like, 12 different developers working on 12 different games that are, like, we're more of, like, a loose affiliation of developers rather than, like, a, a Naughty Dog-type studio. It, it's very difficult, because I remember, like, the moment that we um, brought... This will this will be... Uh, we'll have announced the game by the time this goes live, so when we brought Steve oh, okay. Gabriel on... Um, he was like, he just like, like the next day, like I had, I, I had the call with him and I was like, yeah, you want to work on this? And like the next day he was like, I'm doing an indie game jam for Dread. <laughs> I was like, cool, thanks. Yeah. See, that's why you need to set things up ahead of time. You can't tell people things after the fact. 
you have to give them parameters to follow, you know? I mean, I, I, I did, but, you know, he just kind of did what he did, so. But I, I think that someone that would know all about that is uh, Mr. Dave over here with his new blood crew. Yes. I mean, so what's your opinion on, uh, well, because you're, everyone, okay, so New Blood is an interesting entity within the world of video games. By the way, how does it feel to be uh, the least problematic CEO in all of gaming? Yeah, wow. it's pretty wild, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, it's crazy. 2020 is wild when a sleazy uh, little son of a bitch like me is somehow the least problematic uh, video game developer. Uh, I mean, who knows? I'll probably get out as a serial killer next week or something. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so we're, you know, I actually had a call with Nintendo a few weeks ago, and they literally had to ask, they're like, so we have two account managers for you. Star was actually, uh, Star was actually around for this call. Uh, and, and they're like, so are you a developer or a publisher? Because we don't know who you should be working with. And I was like, well, we're both, technically. Like, we develop, publish, QA, market, PR, our own games. And they're like, well, nobody else does that. I'm like, well, we're kind of unique. Um, you know, we started as... When I started New Blood with my buddies Aaron and Craig, uh, who you might know from the guy who has the emoji face, um, uh, back in 2015, we originally were going to make VR games. That was the thing. We were so far ahead on like a VR game in 2014 before the Oculus Rift even came out. We were almost at GDC 2014 next to Eve Valkyrie. Uh, we were almost like a VR dev, right? We could have been like um, like an Alchemy Labs or something like that. That's what I wanted to do after I had got done doing Rise of the Triad. Um, and that all fell apart. We started trying to make our own games. And next thing you know, we started to turn into like a little indie publisher. And then that kind of got flipped on his head. And then uh, people like the Szymanskis and my QA team ended up joining New Blood. And next thing you know, we're kind of like a one-stop shop where we develop our own games but credit our developers individually. Uh, we've got dev support and everybody kind of works on all the games. Um, and so now we're kind of like this... Uh, I don't know, a, a collective, a big hippie commune of uh, game developers, uh, you know, tied together by a dev support team and a QA team. And I do all our biz dev marketing, QA and PR. And we're kind of just like a one stop shop. You know, we're not like, you know, Nintendo was trying to ask me, well, like, if you're like a publisher, do you like outsource QA? And I'm like, no, we, we do everything in house. Uh, so we're pretty, I think we're pretty unique in that regard. You know, I talked to my buddies at Devolver and stuff. I'm like, how do you guys handle QA? They're like, well, we get it from the developer and then we outsource it to this other developer. And I'm like, man, that sounds like, that sounds like a whole process, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think a big part of the reason why our games, you know, do so well and, you know, are rated so highly is because we have this very strict and rigorous QA and dev support process, which, you know, we're, we're just constantly testing and uploading builds, um, and uh, it leads to really good games. So we've got a really good, I think we've got a really good pipeline and a really good process. And that's how we kind of ended up, you know, doing what we do and finding our space. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's interesting because uh, you often hear the story from developers, especially indie developers, that they kind of stumbled their way into where they are. Because I think that that's kind of the creative process is you start with like one vision of one thing and then like things change over time. And then six years later, you kind of like emerge from your cave beaten and battered and like, what do I have? And then it's like, that's your product. And then, you know, it's either yeah. people love it or they don't. But it's refreshing to hear you can also similarly stumble your way into being a producer. Yeah, basically. 
Uh, you know, it's you, I started, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a sales guy by trade. I'm a salesman and, you know, I have a marketing background with a few useless degrees. Um, but I realized after, you know, the only experience is experience, right? And I realized after going through a bunch of game dev cycles as a marketing and investor guy, uh, that I was actually pretty good at, you know, directing and producing people, you know, just as being a leader and stuff like that. Um, and what I realized when I was working with David on Dusk, and Andrew is that a lot of indie developers, what they need is just a second set of eyes mm-hmm. on something, a fresh set of eyes. When when you're a developer and you work on something nonstop and it's your thing, you have no you have no idea if it's good or not. It's mm-hmm. just you just you work on it nonstop. You're like, I don't know. You're just your brain is just so fried. And once you get a second set of eyes to be like, yes, this is good. Yes, this needs work. No, this isn't probably going to work. And, you know, having a whole group of people, you know, who are like-minded like you and the kind of games you're making in a community to give you, you know, feedback on your games, you can really move forward without questioning yourself. Uh, And it leads to a really good process. You know, the way we made Dusk was David would, you know, go and, you know, do his original block out or a level and go through a level. And then I would go through it with him and give him design crits. And then he'd go back. I'd be like, well, what if you think if we did this? I think it would be better if we did this, this encounter, this amount of enemies. What if we, you know, the the encounter was like this? What if we had more secrets here? You know, a little bit more set dressing, a little bit more environmental storytelling. And he'd come back and be like, well, what do you think of this? I, I, I describe it like as an unmolded um, lump of clay, right? And then David takes it and he molds it into like a pretty good looking, you know, kind of statue. And I go, eh, and then I put my hands on it and I go, well, what about if it looked like this? And then he takes it back and he goes, well, what if, you know, and here's this. And then I go, oh, that looks even better than what I was going to do. And then Andrew comes and he sprinkles and he sprinkles his, you know, crits and some music on top of it. And then we put it in the kiln and it comes out. And that's how you get a dusk level. Um and you could basically apply that to any of our games. It's just a back and forth iteration process. And I, I preach about iteration a lot with all the games I work on. I think 11 of them across two studios now. I also work at a AAA studio down here in New Zealand, Rocketworks. Um, and there's just a lot of iteration of back and forth between you know artists and programmers. And then the producer, you know, setting my job as a producer is mostly setting goals and milestones, right? I'm like, hey, this is what we need to work towards. This is the time I think we can get it done in. You know, you do this, you do this, you do that. Go. Uh, and if you have any problems in the, along the way, let me know and I could sort out those problems or give you advice. You know, as a, as a producer, I, I either like to be really hands-on if I need to be or really hands-off. The worst thing you can do as a producer is, like, just try to get in there fixing somebody's shit. I learned this from Ted Price a really long time ago, CEO of Insomniac. Um, he gave a talk that I talk about a lot called Trust and Balls, which is an awful name for a, uh, um, a dice talk, but it made a lot of sense. And it reminded me of, you don't want to be a helicopter producer, right? Um, you don't want to be the guy standing over your artist or programmer's shoulder going like, no, 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 don't do that. Do it. You know, you don't want to be like uh, Jimmy Fallon's, you know, IT guy and those old SNL skits being like, oh, move, I'll do it. Move. Like, that's the worst thing you could be as a producer. You want to help people do their job better. Um, so, you know, you don't want to be a helicopter producer. You want to kind of be like, well, what do you think if we did this? If you're struggling with this, if we don't think we can get this done in this amount of time, what if we did this? Would that work? And then they kind of brainstorm, and then you come up with a new idea. And it's like, well, we could probably get this in, and that would be a good solution, and we wouldn't have to rewrite all the code. And everybody goes, yeah, that would work, and then you do that instead. And it's about making a 100 of those decisions every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't understand about game development. It It, it is a hundred different decisions. And I think, like, you're absolutely true with, like, either 
one extreme or the other and how you decide what extreme you're going to be at is like you have to know what your strengths are and you have to know what their strengths are and understand if like they know what they're doing but they just need guidance that's one way or if they some people really need a ton of guidance they need their handhold like the entire time yeah. because they can't conceptualize anything and if that's the case then you need to have a strong vision of exactly what it is you want to do because it's going to kill your game and your process like what it was it Anthem that happened with this? Oh, God, Anthem. I actually, I was going to print <laughs> out. I was going to, so who wrote that big story on Anthem? Was it Schreier at Kotaku? Um, I, don't, must, must, I don't know. Must have been, right? Uh, but they example. had that. Sorry. Go. I was going to say, like, they had that whole story of how Anthem went wrong. I literally <laughs> was going to print it out and post it on the wall of our studio down here at Rocketworks. Like, don't do this. Wait, what went wrong with Anthem? Everything. They They wanted to make one game. They had this like vague conception of what the game was going to be like. It was super ambitious, but they're like, we're AAA. We have tons of money. We have the manpower. We've made all these games before. There's no way we can lose. But the yeah, problem they is also they, said, like, go ahead. Yeah, they just didn't have a plan. They didn't have a vision. They didn't know exactly what it is they're going to do step by step. And so they ended up trying to do all these different kinds of ideas that didn't lead to anything. And they just ended up making an entire mess and then trying to make money off of it. Yeah, they said, oh, we're Bioware. They literally, they were making a co-op looter shooter, and they literally said, we don't want to look at any of the others to, to figure out what we're doing, right? Like, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to be like any of the others. And that's the worst thing you could do, especially, so my games are super derivative, right? You could literally point to, like, two or three games each of them is inspired by, and we pick the best parts of those games, you know? If you're making a co-op loot shooter in 2019 or whatever it is, and you're not looking at Destiny or The Division or Borderlands and going, oh, let's take the best parts of these games and instead going, wait, we're Bioware, we don't need any of that, then you're you're 100% doing it wrong. The wheel has already been made. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, you know? Imagine if we made Dusk and we're like, well, we don't need to take anything from Doom or Quake or Blood. We're, you know, we're just going to be completely original. What the hell would the game even be? Um, mm -hmm. so it was a really, it was a failure of, you know, design from the top down. And it was funny when I read that story, they weren't even going to have flying in, um, which ended up being like the whole thing of the game. It was when the CEO of EA came down and he saw like the flying and stuff, the Iron Man style flying in Anthem. And he was like, that's really cool. Why isn't that in the game? And they were like, Ur. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> Anthem as like bare bones as it is, even without the cool Iron Man flying? Um, you know, they really never found what that... The game doesn't know what it is. And there's yeah. a lot of games like that. There's a lot of games like that in the indie space. You really... It's um, easy to fall into yeah. that trap. And I think Dusk is an exception because if, you know, if we didn't figure out a process for Dusk, it would have been one of those games. David didn't really know what it was at first. None of us did. It was going to be like maybe some open-ended thing where you can kind of just play it how it... Um, how you want. We didn't know if it was going to be episodic or like, you know, or if, we didn't know. And it wasn't until David, I think uh, somebody brought up Cabin in the Woods. And, it, you know, I love Cabin in the Woods. Obviously, you guys love Cabin in the Woods. You run a horror thing. You're like, if you don't love Cabin in the Woods, I'm leaving this podcast right now. Um, <laughs> and well, thank, I, thank I, you for I, verifying that we are a thing. That's important. Yes. Yeah, you do. Well, I mean, you guys, you got a movie company, you've got a, you've got a podcast, you've got a game development studio, you've got, you know, uh, you know, editorial website. Like, it's a thing. Yeah, I got, I got uh, a horror yeah. conglomerate. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's a good one, conglomerate, and or a chimera. Yeah, I gotta drink my coffee or it doesn't go horror, horror mecha, uh, Jidora. Um <laughs> and 
uh, a light bulb went off in my head, and I was like, yo, what if we just made, like, Cabin in the Woods the game? Uh, like, and I, t- I, I started to kind of structure it like that. I'm like, you start off, and it's, like, kind of simple, and then you go down, and then there's, like, you know, military things, and then you go down, and then it's, like, Elder God World. And David's like, I've never seen Cabin in the Woods. And I was like, smack! You go watch Cabin in the Woods right now. And he was like, oh, we are making Cabin in the Woods the game. And I was like, I know. Um, <laughs> and we kind of ran with that. And then the story, the funny thing about the story of Dust that everybody loves so much, we just made it up as we went along. Well, that's all uh, stories. Yeah, in, in case people at home don't know, all stories are made up. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was based off kind of community feedback. like Because we did we released Dusk like episodically, right? Episode one, then we episode two, and episode three. And people would like leave comments. It's like, oh, I think this is what's going to happen. I think this is what's going to happen. And the whole thing with like Jacob being like uh, me and the cult leader and stuff, David just put my uh, my high school yearbook photo in the game as a joke. Uh, and I was like, that's hilarious. Let's run with that. And I just remember, and that was like how we got the whole like thing about the cult leader and everything. And then I remember one day in New Blood Discord, uh, which is why community is so important. Discord.gg slash New Blood. Yay, community. community. Um, somebody we were working on, someone's like, I bet, I bet the final, I bet the final boss is Nearlethotep. And I was like, who the fuck is Niar Lethotep? And I just Googled it. And I was like, oh, this would work. This would totally work. So then I read a whole shit ton of Lovecraft and wrote a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, here we go. I figured out the ending for the game. And David was like, yeah, this works pretty good. And I'm like, I know. And now people love it. And we just kind of made it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what you're, where you're, the, the core of Dusk is a strong central vision, but a fluidity in a lot of the design elements. So, like, yeah. if... if if Dusk was just going along, like, these various routes of, like, well, what if now we're a stealth horror game? And it's like, uh, that wouldn't really work. Like, you you have you have a strong central vision for what you want the game to be, that then there's various different kind of, like, there's you build in various ways, but you still maintain that core concept. Yeah. That's what it um, seems like. So I wanted to touch on something that uh, Dave said earlier about uh, process and pipelines. Which, like, first of all, people don't even know really what that means. But I think that, like, I, part of what New Blood's success is, is that you guys are willing to take critique. And I've talked to so many solo developers that just don't go anywhere with their career because they're so afraid that somebody's not going to like their, their game. That their game is their baby and it's precious. And, you know, they don't want anyone to see it until they release it. But the problem with that is, like, that your game just isn't good, like you said. And, like, it, I feel like this is a big problem with a lot of games (laughs) is just developers can't handle it. And like the more critique you give, the better your game is. And the usually more successful you are. Yeah. I thought you were going to say more. (laughs) Are you waiting for me to say something or waiting for Dave? I'm waiting for Dave to talk about solo devs. (laughs) Like why, why Dave, why do they need people like you? That's what I'm going to add to. Yeah. Why do they, why do people need producers? Yeah, um, a lot of people have asked me that before. Uh, people need producers because someone needs to tell people if they're doing a good job and how to do their job better. Uh, like I said earlier, um, you know, uh, if without a second set of eyes or a fresh set of eyes, um, there is uh, really no way for a lot of people to know if what they're doing is good or if it's going to resonate or if it's going to hit their target audience. You know, a good producer 
uh, is going to help a developer do that, whether it be an artist or, you know, it's, it's a lot. People just need someone to go, yes, you're doing a good job or no, I think we need to go in another direction or here's what I think you could be doing better to play to your strengths. Um, without that, it, there's so much, you know, people just second guess themselves. Um, yeah, I, I, I will say uh, like, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just wanted no, to, fine. I thought you were kind of ta- trailing off anyways. I'm never really sure if you're, if you're quite trailing off or about to launch into another point. So, uh, but that makes you interesting, Dave. That's why it's great talking to you. I never, I'm never sure where the conversation is going to drift off to. I went to the cabin in the woods and I was like, that's great. Um, yeah, cabin in the woods. It's a great movie. I love it. I just watched it with my, uh, significant other recently and, uh, they hadn't seen it before. Um, wait, what was I talking about? Now I'm on the cabin in the woods. Fuck. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the reassuring the developers, uh, thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I found that um, a lot of, like, my job is not necessarily, like, blind confidence, but just being like, hey, like, no, this is this is good, like, I like what you're doing. And I, I feel like a lot of, um, especially indie developers, like, the scope of their project isn't necessarily, like, a four- or five-year project. It just takes that long because they keep second-guessing themselves going back. And, like, there's so many inefficiencies in the design process that for the products that like indie indie solo developers usually come out with could be made much more quickly if there was some kind of uh, uh, second pair of eyes not only to do the QA but also to just like give them an attaboy every once in a while. In the, yeah, yeah. attaboy, that's a good one. So I do uh, video game journalism, which is uh, not a not a job. It's it's a bullshit. That's not true. Um, no, it's... <laughs> no, it is bullshit. He does it for me. I can verify. Yeah, no, it's... I don't. No, it's valid. We we need journalists. <laughs> Imagine uh, if well, them. I'm the editor too, so I can cut that out, so I can make ah. my point right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like when I'm writing, you know, you're staring at a Google document for like an hour, and if it's you know something that you're having trouble with, you're just staring at this wall of words, and like eventually it stops like having the same meaning, and like you can't. I don't know. It's like if you if your face was like two inches away from like a huge painting, and like you were just focusing on one detail, and like you forget the big picture, mm-hmm. uh, and like sometimes I need to like I send my shit to Ted, and I'm legitimately not sure if it makes like if it makes sense, like if I, like I forget that it that, I forget how English works, and like I have to get somebody else to just be like, yes, Jesse, you're you're still. Uh, you're still speaking English here. These words still make sense, and um, that's uh, that's what Ted excels at. He, he pats me on the head, he throws me a dog treat, and uh, he says, "Your shit's okay." And then I remind you, you forgot to add a conclusion. And then yeah, exactly. That's something I forget <laughs> all the fucking time. I'm like, uh, like yeah, I'll add that later, and then I never do. And um, I imagine that's ten times worse when you're a programmer, or uh, and you know, you're you're speaking. I don't know what languages you use for uh, for your games. I don't, speak, <laughs> I don't speak computer. Yeah, but you... like, I was gonna say that like all of that stuff you just said uh, comes with practice, and like professionals basically they make themselves a formula. They make themselves like a pipeline or a process or whatever, and then they follow that formula, and that and like that gains consistency, that gets you confidence, and after a while. Like you'll start to figure out, oh, this is what professionalism is. You know, it's it's yeah. just figuring out what works for you. 
in the process that makes you be more productive while also yeah. fooling everybody else that you know what you're doing. It's always it, it's always kind of interested me the different directions that people go with their um, like professional confidence. Because you can go uh, like one direction and be like, you know, people talk shit and you're like, eh, you know, people talk shit. Or you can go in the other direction and be like, listen, here, you motherfucker, you don't know what. And like, I, because I, I see both sides of that. Like every time someone's like, how hard can it be to add key rebinding to your game? And I go to my developers and they're like, that'll take like four days. And I was like, I don't have the money for that. And it's like, it, like clearly the person that's criticizing it doesn't really know. But thanks to the glory of the internet, anyone can tell you that you're a piece of shit that doesn't know what you're talking about no matter if they know what they're talking about. And I always find that uh, to be a very interesting situation. And then, you know, of course, if your ego gets big enough, you can, like, you know, start a Twitter feed with Corey Barlog or something like that. That's always fun. Uh, I <laughs> I just feel like you need to have that tough skin, yeah, for, for anything that happens to you because you want to be creative, You then people are going to see it. If people are going to see it, they're going to criticize it and... And, like, being able to be free of not caring about what anyone thinks is, like, the most spectacular thing, like, ever. Like, you care to a degree because you want to make, like, your products better. But, um, I mean, you can there's you can easily tell, like, who is actually there to help you, like, be, make a better product and who's there to just criticize you. And, unfortunately, some companies just, like, pretend like they care about what their, like, the feedback is and they really don't care. But guess what? The players are going to leave. Like, right. like Anthem. Yeah. <laughs> I never played Anthem, so I, I can't really criticize it because I don't really know if it's that bad. Is it really that bad? It's pretty bad. How much They're is it? They're on... the whole game right now. I mean, it was Bioware, which excels at, uh, you know, conversation almost exclusively. And they made a game that's uh, got none of that. I mean, that's it's, a good point. it's got no story. Um, I mean, it's it's the gameplay of uh, Mass Effect, which you know is fine, uh, but you don't play Mass Effect for the gameplay. You play it for the you know the compelling story. So, I mean, of course, it's gonna be shit. See, Jesse does know what he's talking about. Once that was very more. astute. That was a very good observation. Yeah, oh, Jesse's mad smart. Once again, that's something I'm gonna remove, so it makes me seem like <laughs> my dumb guy persona. No, 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 no. I believe that everyone should be their own hype man. Dave is a hype man. Ted is his own hype man. I'm my own hype man. If nobody, <laughs> if nobody believes in, like, if I say crap about myself, then nobody will believe that I can do it. If I'm like, I'm a terrible uh, community, whatever communications director, I'm a terrible producer, then people are going to think that I am because I keep saying it. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So yeah. I have to say, like, I'm amazing. I'm the best. You know, like, I'm like top of the line, top shelf. You know, all that stuff. I have to say that um, and believe it, and that's how you become like better. <laughs> yeah, if I'm ever going to become a real professional without the air quotes. I'll need to start yeah. doing. doing yeah, that. we're getting dangerously close on this podcast to being actual real professionals. That's like no, no. right? <laughs> um, dangerously close, but maybe on the right path. More so Ted than me. I I do in journalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that um, the niche that we're trying to go in uh, is is definitely like something that the writers are happy about. Like, okay, so Dave, how much of your day is spent keeping your employees happy? Twenty four seven. Yep, super important. Yeah, that's my job. Yeah. 
the interesting the number one. The interesting thing is like I can't pay as much as like IGN or Kotaku or something like that. But I've actually had writers that are like interested in writing for me over them because I'm like, hey, we're, we're our focus is indie, and if you want to write about indie stuff, I'm not going to make you write about Resident Evil. And they're like, oh my god, thank you. Because in the horror journalism space, like literally the only thing that you can write about and for a major site is like new Silent Hill rumors, new Resident Evil Evil rumors, um, and like if there was a Dead Space four, you could write about that. But like that's it, and it's it's a very very that's why everyone like it's the. The thing is, is that when I go to, like, conventions and stuff and I say I write for a horror website, all the PR people is like, does that get enough traffic? Like, can you actually make just a horror website? I'm like, yeah, there's, like, a ton of horror out there. But, like, uh, the, the, the the problem with the, the journalism side of the industry is that, like, it's so focused on a few articles that hit really, really high traffic volume numbers that, um, like, they don't look at the rest of the, like, the horror industry not really being served. And I will say, like... This is kind of like I, I won't don't want to get too much in the weeds on this, but I get more traffic on my indie articles than I do on my Silent Hill and Resident Evil coverage now because we've actually like proven ourselves to like we're getting we're going through the process of proving ourselves, but we've kind of proven ourselves to be like an indie source, and it's it's like legitimately like uh, we did an article on Proteus, which is this shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah Proteus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, damn, Proteus, why your pixels so thick? And it got like a zillion views. And, um, like, it's, and it did way better than any of my coverage of the big rumors articles. And so it's, it's, I, and I would rather write that. And so would a lot of other people. And so we're trying to create, uh, at Dread XP at least, the, the journalism side of things, like a place that's easy to work and people can, like, write about things that they like. Like, I, Jesse got to write an article about Fight Crab. And I, he was just like, hey, look mm -hmm. at this game. It's, like, about two crabs yeah. fighting. And I was like, fucking write about it, bro. And then what was the one about two dudes, uh, like, hitting each other with chairs and then making out? Uh, hard lads. Basically. Yeah, hard mm. <laughs> David, love that. I'm um, back. <laughs> I'll say really quick, too. Like, I, I feel like with when it comes to horror, I think people are not interested in AAA horror as much because AAA doesn't give horror the respect that it deserves, uh, except for obviously Resident Evil is killing it, but it's you know, it, it just like, you just gotta look at the market, look at the times, and like really ask yourself, like, why is indie horror so prevalent now? Like, why why is this coming up? And I feel, I feel like that's where your answer is gonna be, because like you, Ted, find it more interesting, right? Because um, it's more experimental, you can do different things, and with like AAA, you're beholden to like so many processes, and that can ruin something like a creative story. I, I also feel like the the AAA horror fandom community has uh, really devolved into a far more toxic community than one I want to get involved in. Um, mm -hmm. Like this isn't really talked about very often in in horror communities, but the horror community in general is very very gatekeepy and very very insular. Um, like I've, I've been a horror journalist for seven, eight years now. And, um, like when I started doing it, I was the found footage guy and it took me like people like would like, I, I would go to conventions and stuff with the rest of the Dread Central team and they would like be talking about like Rawhead Rex, which is like some fucking, uh, horror film from like the eighties. It was like before Clive Barker made Hellraiser, he made Rawhead Rex. I was like, what's that? And they're like fucking kids don't know shit. Like none of us know what Rawhead Rex is, but that's the culture is that like, it's a bunch of people jerking off the same like eighties movies over and over again. Hey, what? Some of us have built a career on that. 
No, no, no. <laughs> but that's the thing is that like the, the what I've what the difference between what I'm talking about and what like New Blood does is like New Blood will like you'll like make memes and shit. But like it's not like your community is someplace that's like get out of here, you scrub, or like if you do, it's like a joke. You know, it's like you're yeah. not, like, legitimately trying to kick people out of your community for not being knowledgeable enough, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, no, we're very, we try to keep everybody in. That's why, I think that's kind of why we've gotten so big. Yeah. And and so with, with, but with horror, yeah, I, I, for a long time, I've really felt that horror is, is an increasingly subdivided uh, fandom because you'll have yeah. people that are just, you know, like... It's 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 one of the reasons when we said the Discord we wanted it to be so open to everyone. It's like so many people are just so interested in saying Resident Evil hasn't been Resident Evil since Resident Evil Two, and they're whining about that, and they've been whining about it for twenty fucking years. And all they do is they sit on these these chat rooms and they just talk about how new Resident Evil sucks. A new trailer will come out and they go, oh, "It's not what I wanted," and it's like, Jesus Christ! Like this isn't this isn't. As a new player or as a casual player, no one wants to fucking experience that. They don't want to sit in a room of the same seven guys whining about games from the 80s over and over again. And and so, you know, when we were trying to t- think about what kind of community we wanted to make, we wanted it to be positive and focused on the indie. And, and I guess that's a roundabout way of answering your, your question, Star, which is, you know, that the indie stuff interests me and why mainstream triple-a horror isn't serving the community well because look at what some like something like the last of us 2 which takes some actual bold stance on trying to tell a complex story and all the fucking nerds will just like and by the way this this is the podcast so i can say my opinion on this which is like the amount of people that go onto youtube comments and say that like abby is a disgusting character because she looks like a man like those people are, are like absolutely disgusting and should be ashamed that they're like so confident in like making judgments about a character's body on the fucking internet i th- i just find that disgusting and like not her body like the fact that they're making those comments is like really shocking mm-hmm. to me and i was like actually like upset about this because like i thought like, I'm in my little, like, indie bubble of, like, people that are happy and positive. And I was like, oh, man, people are going to like The Last of Us too because that's, like, a bold story. And then, like, online, it's just a bunch of people rolling their face across a keyboard and repeating what Leafy said. And I'm like, it, it, like, legitimately, like, makes me, like, a little bit uncomfortable. Anyways, that's what I'm saying is that, like, that's why mainstream horror, like, mainstream companies won't make horror games is because the horror community is so fucking... Uh, can be very toxic. And I, I think that a lot of people aren't like that. It's only a vocal minority, but there's no one speaking up for the vocal minority other than all these indie creators that need their voices amplified. Just be happy it's not uh, the Smash Bros. community or Pokemon. <laughs> oh, God. Those are way worse than you can ever possibly imagine. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to work for Pokemon. They had a community manager job. And I then I saw I looked at their, their their feed and I'm like never mind I am not strong enough to handle this, <laughs> and so maybe this is a bigger issue that as an industry somehow we need to talk about at some point um, that gamers can be very abusive uh, towards games and that's I think a large part because they don't understand how games are made 
and why some things are harder to do than others. And that's why like somebody, I talked to a developer today and they're like, well, I'm, I'm going to get a fund, not a publisher, a fund so I can get money. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing with localization? What are you going to do with like porting to different consoles? Like, what are you going to do for that? Like key binding, like what you were talking about earlier, Ted. And he's just like, well, I don't know yet. And I'm like, you kind of need to, you know, this is why Dave was talking about, he does everything in house, you know, mm. because you already have a person who's dedicated, who's professional, who, who's done it a hundred times. They already know how to do it. They take care of that process. Um, and so, and if, if somebody's just giving you money, like that's great, but it's just like, you make sure that if you do hire somebody, they like, they know what they're doing. And I feel like going back to, sorry, communities and gamers and all that, like, I feel like they just need to be educated somehow. I don't know. Like people, a lot of people know how to do, make movies. A lot of people know how to make music. Uh, so I feel like in the future, as more people are learning coding, I feel like learning game dev and like why certain things are difficult to do and why certain things are easy to do. Yeah, uh, will become more apparent. I, I think that I, I had this. I had a profound thought uh, the, this this morning uh, when I usually have my profound thoughts right after I woke up, um, and it was, oh no, I this I think this was I had this at last night too. It doesn't matter. Point is, is that I, I had a profound thought, which is, oh, yeah, get ready for it. Uh, gamers love to shit on like hardcore sports fans. Like, people that are, like, you know, the Cubs or the Bears or whatever, like, who, like, they, they love to shit on those people, except for professional wrestling, because it's perfect. But, uh, like, people love to, like, try to set themselves apart from the jocks and whatever. But, like, the people saying, like, Last of Us 2 story sucked, you should have changed it like this, they're the same as the dude sitting on the sidelines being like, Ref can't make a call, or, like, I would have done the play this way. Like, they're the same level of hooting chuds, just for, like, a different hobby. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was going to say, um, there was a study uh, that I read recently um, about how gamers have uh, concave skulls. And how that really impacts their frontal lobes, and that's why they're so aggressive and stupid. What? This is a real thing. Their 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 skulls go inwards, and that's why they're that's why they're dumb and mean because their brains are all fucked up. I feel like here's the thing. Okay, I, yes, I uh, well, I will just say this: it's a minority <laughs> of people that are actually mean. Uh, we like they've done studies before, and the studies showcase that like. Basically, it's only like two out of like, I don't know, 100 people that act, actually care enough to want to ruin it for everybody else. Right. And so if all if communities actually just sat there and like fine with a fine tooth comb, got rid of the, the bad, the rotten people. First of all, the rotten people would like learn to be better. They would learn to that they, they wanted like they, they if they try to do that in the communities, they will get kicked out. So they need to change their behavior to get better. And then, like, two, like, everyone else will speak up more than, like, the normal people that just want to enjoy the game. Mm -hmm. So they've done studies, and they've shown that, like, actually, like, instead of being having loose rules, like, you think that being loose and, like, letting people do what they want is, like, they'll just behave like adults. <laughs> but that's not true at all. You have to be strict. Yeah. Otherwise, I, yeah. I think this yeah. is really obvious because, like, you know, there's certain companies or discussions or whatever that are exclusionary because of their the, like the very top which is like here's all the rules and stuff but there's a lot the way bigger exclusionary thing is the people within that community um you know like i i do uh aa because i'm i'm sober because i was a very bad boy for a very long time sorry dave we can't hang uh <laughs> no i'm sober too i'm sober too for three days really yeah 
like for like a permanent thing, or are you just doing it right now? I'm trying my best. Oh well, congratulations. That's actually a really hard one. I would say after the first uh, seven days, it gets easier. Uh, Thirty yeah. days is when you really know you got it. Um, that being said, uh, going back into my uh, my previous point is that you know uh, I so like I, like I said I, I I'm I'm sober and uh, I, I do various different sobriety programs. And the general rule of thumb for all of those is that they're supposed to be open, accepting towards everyone, be kind and loving towards all, etc. Um, but, like, no one is. Like, you have to find the group that, like, actually, like, practices that. Because most of them, like, you'll get, like, a, a conglomeration. Like, some of them are, like, just bitter old dudes. And, like, some of them are just, like, all fuckboys. And, like, you just, like, have no... Like, there's no... It, 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 because even though the top of the structure is, like be like this, you actually have to then, like, the, what really matters is the individuals within each sub-community or each community that then, like, they, they're the real structure of the community. It doesn't matter what the, like, the rules are if you don't then actually, like, enforce that. So I'm backing Star up in what she was saying. Yeah. yeah. Does that make any sense? Did I make any sense there? I hope I did. Yes. Um, yeah, I also, also want to ask Dave, too, um, can you give an example of one, like one of the games you worked on? Like, like take one chunk out of the game development and talk about the process of like a problem that you guys had and how you fixed it. Um, isn't that kind of what I was doing before? Uh, let no, me you're see. Too, you're too general. What's too general. Thing? More specific. Oh man, you're gonna put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> one part of a problem we were having. Uh, and how we solved it. Oh, man. Um, uh, Gloomwood. We could probably talk about a bunch of Gloomwood stuff. For, so for Gloomwood, um, we wanted accessibility and we wanted people to be able to quick save, right? Um, however, just having... We didn't want save scumming and we only wanted to do it on the easier difficulties because Gloomwood has a Resident Evil alien isolation style save system where you can only save at certain you know, um, points in the game. We have these uh, gramophones that you can save at. We didn't want it to be like... That's one of the things we didn't want from like the old Thief games. You could just basically like quick save all the time and experiment. And if something goes wrong, you could just load up your save. We didn't want that. It makes the games too easy and loses a lot of tension. However, we did want accessibility and we didn't want easier options. Uh, but quick saving and quick loading is a whole big crazy ass can of worms, right? We didn't just want to add in F6, F9, because uh, it's it's really hard. Save save systems are like one of the hardest things to do in games, and yeah. we also didn't really want to do that. So uh, we started to think about compromises and like, well, how do we save the whole world, the whole world state, if we want to? Um, but still make it so people can't save, like, in the middle of a jump or while they're in the middle of a stab or, you know, all these crazy things that, you know, if people, like, press the save button in the middle of a crazy action and then load, it's going to bork the world, right? How do we make it so people can save wherever they want but not save however they want, basically? Uh, so the solution we came up to with was Dylan put a little music box in on the easiest difficulty that's part of your inventory, and you could save wherever you want, but you have to go into your backpack, take it out, and then save. Uh, and you can't do that when you're in combat, uh, and you can't do that when you're in midair, so it eliminates, you know, all those things from happening, plus it's an in-world solution, you know, we want everything in Gloom World to be diegetic, so it's like you have to go into your inventory, take out this little music box, press save on the music box, and it feels like an in-world thing, right? You're not taken out of the game, you're not taken out of the immersion, because Gloomwood is all about immersion, it solves our saving issue, it gives people who want that accessibility, or the ability to save, you know, because, you know, it's just an easier mode, uh, that option, and so far, so good. And that was, uh, and it saved us a lot of development time as well. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, some of the I'm a big fan of that. About- some of the things you talk about is really interesting because I believe that uh, a lot of things that that makes a good producer, because let's be honest here, there's a lot of people in the industry that I wouldn't, that are a producer, but like, I don't exactly know what they do. And when they talk about it, like, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm just like, do you- Star, don't like, talk about me like that. Come on. I work hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. No, it, <laughs> it, it's more like, I'm like, did somebody just hand you this job? Like, I'll be honest here. Some producers, I'm just like, I don't. And they're like, well, I don't actually do anything. I'm just and I'm like, what? You know, like, I'm getting really confused here. <laughs> what a producer does. Um, I believe that Dave uh, is really successful because I think that he has like this intuitiveness of like understanding exactly what a player is going to think when they look at something. And so he's able to get into their mind and therefore he's going to make a product that they're going to enjoy. And I feel like a lot of people don't have that necessarily. Yeah, this is so my I always say that my um, my strength as a producer is I'm I am my own target audience, right? Um, I am, uh, you know, I'm the person that we make games for, Uh, you know, I am I am the average player that's going to play a retro shooter or retro horror game. So I make games for myself, basically. And I, I, I used to be press, you know, I used to write for like PC Gamer and Kotaku and all that. So I've got a really good idea of what press is going to say when they play something. I've got a really good idea of what players are going to say. I've got a really good idea of what like YouTubers and streamers are going to say. <laughs> so when I go through and I do design passes on our games, I'm thinking like how an average player is going to play our games. And I always, I say this a lot, I only test our games on medium. I don't I, I don't play them on hard. I don't play them on super easy. I always test our games on medium for the average player and I say anything, you know, anything is harder or easier is up to the player. And what you'll what you'll find, especially in difficulty, because difficulty is a tough thing, especially in retro style games. You know, modern games only have one difficulty, right? It's like start game. Graphics, yes, no, you know. Um But our games, you know, we've got a ton of different options. Tons of options. Um, and what we'll find is, and I tell people like Dylan and stuff, they're like, well, how do we know if the game's too hard or too easy on the difficulties? I'm like, if you've got people saying the game's too hard and then a bunch of people saying the game's too easy, then congratulations, it's probably just right. Uh, you know, so that's why I always test everything down the line, in the middle, average player, and it helps that I'm the average player, right? We've got QA guys that just break the game and play through the Gloomwood demo in, like, five minutes. Uh, or, you know, play Dusk and, you know, but then I look at people who play it on YouTube and, like, they never bunny hop in Dusk. They never, uh, do tricky stuff in Gloomwood. They just kind of play it the average way, and if you, you know, if you focus on the core experience for the average player and then give people options, that's one of the things I always say, give people options. If they don't, if you don't like some, if a bunch of people don't like something, make it an option. Everything's an option. You know, like the, the eye vision cones that we have on in Gloomwood by default, we had some people who were like, oh, I don't think I want those. Well, it's often, it's often hard mode and it's an option in every mode you know making options is not only good for accessibility but it just opens your game up to more people and there's less and there's less for them to argue about and the less they could argue about the more time you could focus on just making a good game yeah makes sense it's, it's just uh, it's one of those things that it's uh, difficult to add when you only have a week to make your games yeah well you guys are kind of uh you know that's that's a you problem yeah that's a me problem yeah. well and like that's why like i'm here because like i like I have to, I'm here to actually organize things and make sure things like think about things thoroughly. And I, I'm telling you, a lot of people don't. A lot of people are just like, let's just throw shit on the wall and see what sticks. And like, unfortunately, that's not how you make money. Like you make money by like making sure you're fireproof things instead of like waiting till after there's fires and then trying to put them out. 
Yeah. Like you want to have like as least amount of problems as possible. And the only way to do that is by structure and thinking things through. Uh, I, Dave's probably laughing at me right now. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> I, I, I no Star, Star has actual power. That was really important to me. Um, not because of a, like a moral standpoint. I just don't want to do work. So the less work that I have. <laughs> That's a lie. We're, Ted works twice as hard as anyone. <laughs> works super hard. Um, uh, don't tell, don't give away my secret that hard work leads to success. <laughs> I'm the only one that figured that out in the gaming industry, at least. All right. I want to ask Dave another question. I'm so sorry. Sure. You can ask me all the questions you want. He's That's a, what I'm here for. He's a wealth of knowledge. Just the mm. fountain of knowledge. Um, how okay so me and ted were talking about this earlier because we are trying to like you say like oh we do like internal testing and this and that and this and that one of the things is pr and we're we're kind of in between a lot of different solutions right now and we just a lot of the solution there's no like slam dunk solution right like each solution has its pros and cons and so like what is your How how what is PR? I, I guess to the anyone what is PR right? and like what is like what do you think you should be looking for when it comes to PR? Like what matters and like obviously we're going to talk about Dreadx Collection as our example here. <laughs> Dreadxu. Uh, so you know public relations is you know a lot of people think oh you got to get the biggest and the best and the you know just reach out to everybody. No, it's you got to reach out to the people that are going to you know appreciate your games and play your games like ign has never played a single or covered a single one of our games and do you think i give a shit do you think that matters do you think if ign did a big video on dusk that would make people buy dusk do you think the comments on ign would be like whoa this looks so cool no they'd be like what is this indie minecraft with guns looking trash show us last of us where's gta 6 where's last of us part 3 you know it's you know that's big triple a stuff that people expect from those big websites you know uh when I do PR, it's more about you gotta you gotta find your audience. You know, I make retro, you know, retro styled games. So I reach out to people who cover retro style stuff, especially retro shooters. There's there's specific YouTubers who love to cover that cover that stuff. There's specific websites who love to cover that stuff. You know, especially you know a PC gamer, obviously. You guys, at Dread Central. You know, we make retro horror stuff. So you know, you guys love to cover it. Um, it's with the horror. You know, sites like Bloody Disgustings. You know, you guys know them very well, I'm sure. Um, and it's and you know it's about reaching out to people that are going to appreciate your games who have audiences that are going to appreciate your games, right? Why would I spend a ton of time reaching out to GameSpot or something to do some kind of exclusive about Gloomwood when nobody in their audience is going to give a shit about it? Just so I can say I got an exclusive on like a big website? That doesn't do anything for the game. I'm I'm out here trying to sell I'm out here trying to sell copies, you know? I'm not trying to, you know, just be like look at my I'm not trying to print out articles and put them on the wall because of I got some good press from a big outlet, right? Like do you, you think I want USA today to write about Ultra Kill? Like who gives a shit? Uh, you know, I'd rather PC Gamer, you know, put up, you know, an article about it because then people who actually play my kind of games would be like, that looks really cool. I'm going to go wishlist that. I'm going to go try the demo. Um, yeah, I mean, you if, know, you, if, if you create a game about the life of a bot inflating traffic numbers, then I'm sure IGN would love that. Woo! <laughs> wow. Spicy. Spicy, Ted. <laughs> Ted's got a lot of zingers. Look, there, there's yeah. no way that you have, like, 33 million active users or whatever they say and get 12 comments on an article that's all i'm saying right yeah it's like that with a bunch of youtubers too and even people on twitter i remember i got into a beef with dane cook for some fucking reason that's right Um, and he like and he like he like quote retweeted me and he was talking shit and there was like 
20 likes on it. He's got 3 million followers. My reply to him had like 10 times as many likes. And I was like, damn, Dane Cook, you really did fucking get left behind back in 2006. <laughs> and you were supporting him. Like, you're being sincere. Yeah, I was, being, I was being really nice. But then a bunch of people told me he's actually, like, a big asshole piece of shit. So I was like, oh, whatever then. I was, cause I was remembering one of his bits from, like, his original thing. Like, when he's, like, the, he did, remember that Burger King skit he did? Where he's like, my brother thought he was the Burger King. <laughs> Whopper large fries. Uh, and I was, I forget what I was thinking about that bit for, and I was like, man, that was actually really funny. We owe Dane Cook an apology. And then Dane Cook, Dane Cook was like, fuck you, you're a troll. And I was like, whoa, I was serious, dude. I was you like, fuck you, Dane. I, I was like, this motherfucker's so bitter. Somebody's, uh, he doesn't know how to deal with someone actually being nice to him on the internet. Um, it, it, it'd be like that sometimes. Like, I'm dealing with someone right now on Twitter who's been harassing me and my devs. Like, just some crazy person. Like, they're not, like, mean or anything. They're just, like, spamming everybody with, hey, hey, please respond. I showed you my, like, you know, fucking memes. Please respond. Uh, and he's sending that to, like, everyone I know. It's a good thing he hasn't found you guys yet. Um, oh. and it got to the point where I'm just banning this person from everything. And it's just, like, it's fine. It's, it's annoying. It's not really... It's just like I mean, I have to now take time out of my day and my developer's time, start fucking banning and muting a person all over. He's found our forums and our Discord. It's just it's literally just like, hey, 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 hey. It's like get the hint, bro. Um, <laughs> that's part of it, you know. I do, and when you say what is PR, a lot of it's just you know who you want to be outward facingly. Obviously, I'm very loud. I'm very out there. Uh, I like to make a lot of jokes, and a lot of it is also encouraging my developers to be out there. It was I forget who it was. I think it was Nintendo as well who was like, you and your devs are all like really big on twitter and i'm like you know that's because i we'd like to credit them individually and have them express themselves mm -hmm. individually you know and you guys are working with a lot of them at dread xp you know david you know airdorf uh dylan uh they're all they've all got huge twitter followings now new the new blood me and then we all we cross pollinate to where it's like everybody who's involved with our games and knows us and this retro and this uh retro shooter our community is kind of just like one big, you know, one big happy family on social media. And we love to just gas each other up and retweet everybody else's stuff. And it leads to it leads to bigger communities and more sales. Yeah. And that's, and what, think, and that's what we're trying to get at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, and I really I really do agree with that, uh, like kind of amping each other up mentality. It's something that I've, I've been really pushing for, for like the social media stuff on our side. Like, you know, I, I really love um, I, I think probably my favorite you know, part of this whole process is seeing like the, the actual increase in numbers that our developers are getting on their Twitters. I mean, like Torpal Duke, who, when Torpal I Duke, hired, yeah, right. Day off. Yeah. Um, uh, when he started, like basically I hired him because Airdorf was like, this guy can do it. And I was like, I had three days to hire all my developers for the first Red X collection. I know it's super professional, but I was like, yeah. okay. And uh, so if I was like, well, if Airdorf says this guy's legit and um, now he's almost at like a thousand and like anyone, that can actually like that has tried to make a presence online can tell you like that first thousand is fucking brutal. Yeah. And like if, if what I can do is amp him up from 88 to a thousand and you know, just like you know a month or so, like that's really, really important to me. And hopefully as we get more and more of an infrastructure here, like it can be something that like, you know, when we invite people and bring them into the, into the fold, I don't want to say into the fold. Cause that sounds like I'm like, saying, oh, you know, you have to be with us. But, like, you know, I, I, I want uh, uh, to be able to actually promote these creators rather than just promoting, hey, doesn't this game look cool? Because, like, the game looking cool is one thing, but I also want to promote the creators themselves that are often forgotten. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, I'm big about that. And you got to start somewhere. People are like, oh, man, you've got this huge community with New Blood. You got 20,000 people in your Discord. I'm like, uh, like, I'm like, we started it like three years ago. Uh, and like, there was, there was two people in it when we started, you know, it's, you get, you, there's no like easy way. It's just one, every person, one person at a time. I, if I can, you know, if I could turn one person into a fan every day and they start talking to two people and they start talking to, you know, three people, that's, there's no shortcuts to building a real community. You can like fake it, but like you were saying, you're going to end up with a lot of inflated numbers and not real people. I mean, if you look at the engagement that we get across everything, it's way bigger than, you know, people that's got, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. Like you can do giveaways and stuff and get like millions of followers, but those are all just people who are just waiting for free shit. They're not engaged customers. Yeah. Um, so yep. you just you gotta you gotta do it the hard way. You just gotta talk to every single person. I answer, I reply to every DM, every tweet, every email, uh, every forum post. I think I've answered something like fifteen thousand Steam forum posts over the last ten years. Uh, it's just there's no shortcuts. It takes up a lot of time of my day. It's a big part of what I do. But like, if you want to have a, a real community, you gotta you gotta put in the work. You gotta be a real person or not. Some people are antisocial, but find <laughs> someone like Star, uh, you know, who, who can who can who can be social for you. And that's the thing, though, is that like if you're trying to start a community and you don't want to put in the work to start a community and instead buy bots, then like, what are you trying to actually do? You know? Yeah. Like, I, I want there to be a good community here. I'm not trying to, like, use this to leverage power. And I think that what we see is there's a lot of people who have ulterior motives for creating a large community, like, to, to wield power. And, oh, guess what's happening to all of them right now? Yeah. Well, that's... <sighs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I agree. I, I was just... I hate... Okay, I hate saying this because... Here's the thing. Money is important. I've worked with so many companies that just like, I'm sorry, we can't pay you anymore. Like we need marketing and we need a PR person and we need biz dev. We need like all of these extra things. That's not development, but we can't afford to pay you. And I'm like, excuse me, like, this doesn't make any sense right now. If you're a business, you'd learn how to make money and to be and buying numbers, like inflating your numbers does not make you money. That's <laughs> Sorry if that's controversial because some people think that game developers can't care about money, but I've worked at too many companies that didn't know how to make money because quote unquote, like morals, like, and I'm just like, you can be a good person and make money at the same time. Like literally yeah. new bloods. <laughs> you could like, you could, you could add, it's okay to like, um, ask for money. It's okay to ask for reviews and stuff. Like, I tell people, they're like, oh, I feel bad asking people to leave reviews for our games. Like, why? Have you ever been yeah. to a restaurant? What does the restaurant say on the, everything? It says, leave us a Yelp review, please, God. When you go to a hotel, what does it say afterwards? Please leave us a review on TripAdvisor if you had a good time. How do you think restaurants and hotels get good reviews and stuff? They have to remind people to, you know, if you had a good experience, please tell people. Because you know why? If you don't do that, otherwise, when do people leave reviews of things? Either yeah. when they had a bad time. And they're, oh, the service was terrible, blah, blah, blah. And most of the people who had a good time just don't say it. It's just, you know, oh, it was, yeah, food was good, whatever. But if the... You know, and they don't they don't think to leave a review because, you know, they had a fine experience. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't review worthy. They went in, they went out, they had a fine time. But however, if you don't remind people like, hey, if you really liked our game, leave a review. It helps to let other people know then they're not going to. And then you're just left with all the, you know, the negative reviews, you know, uh, from Russians who were like, you know, game doesn't work. It only cost me 420 rubles. But, you know, eight out of ten <laughs> thumbs down. Uh, it's like, yeah. what? <laughs> all right. Uh, 
You know, it's so it'd be like that sometimes. So you gotta not remind people. You, you gotta remind people. Not in the vodka out of ten. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go I, play. I, I, don't play dust. Play Hrot. A lot of <laughs> that game does look pretty fun, though. Yeah, Hrot's uh, really good. <laughs> um, I I've been uh, you know really heavily um, pushing. You know, every time someone streamer plays their game or something, like, hey, I'm glad you liked it. Go on Steam, leave a review, please. Um, and I've also been like responding to every negative review to be like, Hey, you know, please tell us what you like didn't like. And we, of course we got some like troll reviews from someone with like 15 minutes in the game being like bullshit game. Yeah. You get those. The worst is when you get like uh, tech support reviews. It's like reviews are not technical support. If you would just go to the forums, we could help you It'd be yeah. like game doesn't game like game crashes. When I change resolution, negative review, it's like, we could help you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, it is what it is. But what I, and, what Steam, been... and Steam especially has been getting better at that. I've been giving Valve a lot of feedback on the review system and how you can encourage people to give reviews and not leave tech support reviews and stuff. Um, so it's gotten a lot better, and I think reviews overall on Steam have gone up. But uh, yeah, yeah. you got to engage with people, and you got to. And that's another thing. So many people are used to developers not replying or not doing anything. That like sometimes when you reply to their thread or their review, they're like, "Holy crap! I didn't expect a developer to show up." This is this is I've you know. It's like yeah, well you're used to playing like AAA stuff by people who feel like it's made by a company and they have, you have no direct line of contact. This is indie mm-hmm. games, bro. If you want to talk to the person making the game, they're usually really easy to find. Mm-hmm. And they're more likely to buy their game for their friend too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that uh, uh, it's just it can be it can be difficult to keep up that level of positivity at all times, which is why you need someone that can do that. It's just it's very it, people aren't machines, and it's like I mean I always leave I, I always try overt positivity with my uh, uh, like response to things. So I was in the, a YouTube video for. Um, uh, who just recently played our game star? Do you remember? Uh, Jesse Cox. Yeah, that one. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, cool. Some guy named Jesse. Um, <laughs> and in the comments, someone was like, oh, this story, you know, I really liked how at the beginning they were, you know, making fun of it. But then later on, they really liked it. And I was like, oh, that's my, I wrote that. That's good. And so I was like, Yay. oh, thank you. And some guy replied, be like, yeah, it's super deep for a 14 year old. And I wanted to be like, damn, bro, come at me when you make your own fucking game. Eat my dick. Like, like I wanted to do that. But what I said was like, ha, you got me. <laughs> Every one of these podcasts, like, I think that Ted's going to mention how different his perspective is now that he's actually making the games versus when he was just a journalist. Because a lot of journalists think they know how games are made. Well, no, I, I, don't, I don't feel like my perspective, my, my perspective has fundamentally shift, shifted. Um, but I don't think that I've lost my ability to be critical of things. I just feel like I have more of an understanding for indie creators and how things can go wrong. I, I always did have a sense of that, but I don't know. It, uh, the, the, when I, what I, what I, ha- what I, okay. What I will say my big perspective shift is the idea that devs don't care. The, the, oh, devs don't care. They're not responding to the forum. They don't give a shit. Like that's not true. They, if they're not responding, it's usually because they are like human beings that are overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you need like thick skinned people like you, me, and Dave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thicky skin. Yeah. Uh, and My it's, skin is thick. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. Damn, bro. I mean, this is why. So thick? But it's not <laughs> thick enough to work at Ubisoft or, you know, Gearbox or EA or those kind of places. Like, I, woof. Man. That's a you gotta like put on your armor every day before going into bat like going into work is like battle, mm-hmm. like that's not fun to me. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. It is uh, it's a yeah, 
I'm trying to think about a profound point I can make here, but uh, I'll just say that indies should uh, start to learn more about marketing so they're not afraid of it and start to learn about communities so they're not afraid of it because that's really why they don't do it and why what hurts them is like they're just they'll jump into game engines and learn all this code stuff and they'll learn about like shaders and you know all of this technical art stuff that's super complicated but they they can't handle you know posting in discord <laughs> well I, I think that what's interesting it, it would okay so i i totally agree with you and i think that the market has fundamentally fundamentally there there is going through a tectonic level of shift in in how games are being marketed uh, because I think that, and this is something that you guys, actually I probably have more insight on this than you guys do um, because I'm on the other side of it, um, but like there is a ton of companies and outlets that are probably not going to exist within a year um, because... So that that whole thing I was talking about with the, the inflating of the numbers and stuff, like... It's not just a joke. Like, there is a huge, widespread problem of different big companies wildly inflating their numbers. People like Facebook, which claims, what, like 2.9? It claims, like, half the people in the world use their, their platform, which, like, isn't actually true. And if you look at, like, Twitter statistics, there's a way, way more fake accounts or inactive accounts than there are active accounts. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's something like... I think it's something like... Uh, ten percent of Twitter accounts make like eighty percent of all the tweets, um, and like we we have this really really hyperinflated market because of bots, and then there's a lot of ways to fuck with your traffic. So one of the things about uh, Dread XP that I was really really adamant about was that we bought no we we buy no uh, viewers and like we buy no bots to click on us, uh, and we don't use any kind of um, traffic inflating or um, there's various different things you can do to like inflate your numbers, uh, like you know lists on multiple pages or run a refresher on your site, you know things like that to kind of boost your stats. Uh, we don't do any of that uh, because I don't want because I that industry is like presently crumbling. So there's a lot of websites that even before COVID hit are looking at shuttering because uh, the the programmatic ads are no longer paying, and because of that. You're, you're having a, a like, and I'm talking, like, the, when game trailers shut down, gametrailers.com, people were, like, shocked because they're like, how could a site so big go under? And I, I think that we're going to see a very similar situation with a lot of the other big gaming sites. I, I hesitate to, like, call any specifically out, um, but they might have, like, three-letter names or something that uh, amidst all the other controversies happening... Like the storm might not be worth weathering for them because there's not enough actual substance to the ship that they're trying to like batten down the hatches on, and um, after I mean with COVID hitting and and all of these other things going on, it's 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 like a, it's like a, a a series of straws on top of the camel, but instead of straws, it's like fucking boulders, um, and but it really is there's, there's this fundamental problem which is that. Like, no sites are paying right now. Like, I've had a lot of big-name journalists come and ask, like, hey, are we... And, like, pitching to me, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, we can give you a little bit. And they're like, well, I used to get this amount at this site, which is interesting because you also find out that they're not getting paid there 
really what the site is advertising. And so you'll have a site advertised that you get $250 an editorial, but that's for one person that they, they can then advertise that they make a match. It's, 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 it's another facet of inflating their numbers. And why am I rant, rambling about this for so long? Well, because uh, this isn't just an aspect, like the, the way that big AAA studios market to those large outlets is like a very, is like a dying process. And what's more effective are these smaller, more agile labels that can speak directly to a community. So we've seen that very effectively with something like Wholesome Direct or um, this uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the publisher that put out games such as uh, Dusk and Unfortunate Spacemen. That's uh, me. That'd be you. Um, but you have like a more directed, agile message and like you don't give a fuck that IGN's covering your shit, but guess what? You didn't have to pay a PR company to like go reach out to IGN. And I guarantee you, IGN had put out your trailer. It really wouldn't do shit for your games. Yeah. Yeah, I, it really wouldn't. Yeah, a few years. Yeah. So like the fact that the industry puts that's why I asked about PR because I'm like the industry puts so much weight into PR and like journalism and stuff like that. And I do believe it's important because we need to see the the news. Uh, it's just that they need to rethink how they're giving it to the audience and what the audience actually wants and not just get lazy and do the same thing over and over again. They need to be more creative with their content and how they're presenting themselves in a way that's actually people like it's like easily digestible um, because like so many people ask me star like what where are the indie games and uh, with like when it comes to like wholesome direct like the wholesome games community they know like those set of people know exactly where to find the kind of games that they're looking for. It's very niche. And I think that's where the uh, future is going. That's why, like, I was, I said yes to working for Dread is because I'm like, yes, it's niche. That's what I want. I don't want to work for a company that helps all the indie games. There's too many. People don't know where to find them. But, like, horror games, you know, that's something you can target. Yeah. Plus, we don't inflate our numbers, which is very obvious from the size of our numbers. Oh. <laughs> we, uh, we just got started, though. I was oh. actually going to start with a joke saying, like, hey, you know, this podcast has recently been bought out by... Uh, the Facebook podcast network. And, uh, you know, uh, surprisingly our, you know, 50 active listeners are now 500,000. So. Uh, yes, yeah, remember when Facebook was like, Hey, we should, uh, we should all move to video and then, uh, crashed like maybe half of the internet, like websites. Yep. Uh, yeah. And Facebook lied to everybody and just, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you hate what you hate to see it. You hate uh, to see it. Well, I mean, it sucks cause we lost a lot of good websites. Yeah. Like college humor. I was just going to say college humor, yeah, because they're like, oh, we need to switch to Facebook video. And then it was like, no. I mean, I mean the fact that the whole fucking House of Cards didn't come down right then is shocking to me. And it's all, it, just, it just goes to fucking show that the capitalist system that we live in is a fucking House of Cards built on funny money, built on fake traffic that doesn't really yeah. exist. The, the United States could not stand three weeks being closed. It's oh, it's. Yeah. You're getting us on our socialism rant, but like you know, it's so funny. Socialism, let's do it, comrade. Let's go. Let's fucking go. No, I, I was gonna say that like it's so funny because people talk about like, oh, what if China was like give us our like two trillion dollars in debt back? And I was like, you clearly don't know how the economy works because their economy is boosted by the fact that we owe them two trillion, quote quote. And they're like, oh, we could call it back any time. So they're reinvesting that two trillion. It's all money that no one has reinvesting into projects that like no one. There's no real like. The, the, it's we have a currency that's based off of the promise that we have currency. It doesn't. And, and so, like, we have these, like, in incredibly increasingly inflated numbers that exists only to 
make some shareholder have a larger imaginary pile of wealth that people transfer into real goods and services because we're all still buying into that fucking collective delusion. And, I mean, this is really the reason why New Blood hates money is because capitalism is a construct that shouldn't exist. And so that's why you hate money. It's actually a political statement. It is. I mean, I'm very openly, uh, you know, socialisty. Uh, you know, not full on. I'm not like, hey, everybody must share the wealth. I don't care who you are, but you know, I'm I'm big on, uh, you know, distributing equally and kind of just I don't know, not being a dick about it. And yeah. Honestly, that's not that much socialism, but like. No, it's not. It's normal. It's normal. I live. I we have socialized. I live in New Zealand. If I get sick, I just go to the doctor. It costs me maybe 20 bucks. I don't have to fill out any forms. There's no copay. I don't have an HMO or whatever the hell. Like, I try to explain how American healthcare works to people down here, and they look at me like I've got five heads. They're like, what? You have to do what? You have to get insurance, and then you can only go to some doctors, and then when you go there, you have to spend a minimum amount of money to cover it, and then if you don't, you have to pay... A co- uh, you have to pay again, a co-payment for a payment, and then that's only after filling out a bunch of forms and having no pre-existing conditions. So, like, if you already had a thing, you can't get treated for that thing. And if you do get treated for that thing, you have to pay. And I'm like, yes. Then they're, they're like, what? The co-pays are just bullshit numbers that the that the that they throw out. You can like. It's uh, like, the crazy thing is it's uh, we're so used to it in the states. Obviously, I'm from the states. Is that we think it's normal, and then you try to explain it to someone in any other developed country, and they're like, "That sounds absolutely insane." And you sit back, and you're like, "Yeah, I guess that is absolutely crazy." And, and the thing is, is that it's it's such a indicator of the fundamental flaw in the system because it's not like the ace bandage that they put on your fucking hand when you sprain your wrist actually costs five thousand dollars. It's that no. that is the number that they can then charge the insurance company. So when the average person comes in with insurance, then they can bill the insurance company for more, so the hospital can make more money. So the shareholders are happy and it's 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 like this it's it's once again a trading of like fictitious goods that when you're not part of that system and you're just an outsider that comes in and you don't have insurance you just get straight fucked because none of these prices are actually representative of the goods themselves well, that's, that actually leads me back to uh, my thought about uh, Facebook and the videos thing I don't think it was like a direct lie I think Mark Zuckerberg just like had the thought like videos are the next big thing and he and he said that and it got this huge snowball rolling and like that's the same thing it's like what if we charge somebody 50 bucks for aspirin and like our our whole society is built off of dumbass opinions uh that get taken into account like that and like and this like we're just conditioned to think that that's cool and normal this is why if you have this it's the price you have to pay when you have a larger audience people always think that they want huge numbers i want a ton of followers like a million youtube subscribers and a hundred thousand twitter followers and instagram but here's the problem is it comes with a responsibility whenever you have with a platform great, with like great power yes yeah <laughs> you have a target on your the on your front and your back when you have a big following all of a sudden people take you more seriously especially if you check mark uh, people will hear what you have to say more and whether it's good or bad, like you, you need to take it seriously because even if you don't like other people will, and, uh, that can make or break your entire career as we're seeing right now. Well, I I think, I think that the problem is, is that for a lot of these individuals that 
they get into it to for the power because they want to be able to like get laid or something. That's a, that's a lot of people function like that. They're like, I have an ulterior motive and I want to be, and then we can get a whole culture talking about the culture of toxic masculinity and things like that. But they don't like, they, they, there's a point where they, they don't really realize that like, Oh wait, power like is abusive. Like using my power to get things is like, uh, is, is bad. It's it's really really like and because people don't eventually like they don't really get how other people view them because we're all just kind of going through our lives and getting to the places that we are and we still see like the the sad little boy that like cried when his like he found the worm in his apple when he was like you know twelve but they don't understand that like I don't know I, I, that's that's kind of what I what I think sorry not to talk over you yeah yeah absolutely. Um... It's just that here's the thing. Uh, people, I guess the whole point of like everything, what I'm talking about today boils down to this, that you don't know what it's like for other people unless you experience it yourself. So you don't know what PR is like. You don't know what a, being a producer is like or how to make a game or like what it's like to have all these followers until it happens to you. And then you get to see uh, like a fresh new set of problems that you, de- you never knew existed. And then you try to think like, hmm, Maybe I don't want all of this. You know, maybe I do want to have like a simple life and not have to worry about this because with all this money comes more problems. Like maybe I don't want to run like a big company with like so many people that I have to keep track of all of their well-being. You know, maybe I do want to just have like, you know, two or three employees. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> no, I, I get it. And I think that, um, you know, we there's a lot of it, it, it's that that's the thing is that once you start talking about one of these issues it obviously it spills over into more issues because it is a complex web of interconnecting you know uh, influences and and uh, yeah I, I, that's the thing is that there's no simple answer it's a complicated answer but i you you are you are correct and i will just say that as a standard when star has a point she is correct oh that is amazing <laughs> i'd love to hear it <laughs> Yeah. I, uh... Oh my God. I've said this to so many bosses before. Like I've had so many jobs and they're just like, you're crazy. <laughs> like what? I, I, that's what I think is that I think that this older model of the infinite growth, like doesn't yeah. really work. It's better to have, like I, I look at um, frictional games uh, mm-hmm. who made amnesia, uh, which is like still a very small team. Uh, I, I interviewed uh, Thomas grip. Who's one of the two founders and, you know, they made uh, Penumbra with, like, four people, and they made Amnesia with, like, nine. It's, it was, like, not a big team. And they said, uh, when I was asking them why they've never... And, and then, you know, the ob- obvious other side of that is a Bloober Team, uh, which is, you know, where my, my girlfriend works. And uh, she... They're, they're, uh, they're like, 90-person studio now, and they're, like... But that... You have to then deliver on a 90-person game, whereas... Uh, Soma was made with like 16 people and they're like yeah we went from 9 to 16 so when that did well we were all like pretty set and Frictional Games like they always have they said like we don't start a project unless we have two years of operating cost in the bank with no promise of future income and obviously Amnesia is still selling and and so is Soma so it's like it's really really cool to, to see a studio kind of function like that and do well. That's so rare Yeah. Wow. And that's why they're still here and that's why people don't hate them <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that concept of having money before you start a project, you know, and not relying on Kickstarter to, 
to fund your entire game is that ah uh, man <laughs> yeah yeah well i just you know i hope that what we're doing is uh able to at least return enough profit to keep keep doing it although um Yee. i mean by now the second one's already already introduced we have we have a really fucking great team dave you've seen you've seen the, our discord you've seen our, our the size spoilers bro on. Spoilers. Spoilers? No, people. I mean, the, by now the announcement should have gone out, uh, right? Nope. No, it has not. Not if it, Oh, oh, sorry. When this podcast. Yeah, by the time this gets edited podcast. and done in like a couple yes. days, this will be. Yes. Yeah. Well, not I'm... a couple days. I'll, I'd... <laughs> Wait, <laughs> when are we? When are we sure. announcing it? Uh, whenever he's done with the animated logo. The animated logo, not... right? He's he is like, I'm gonna go to cookout tonight. I'm like, have fun. Oh, so you it wasn't know? supposed to tweet the key art. Uh, no, it's the animated logo. Oh, shoot. I should probably take that. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Oh, uh, yeah. You fooled me. <laughs> but, um, I will say this too. Like, Dave says that you, like, you need to build community. Like, uh, Dave, is there, like, how do you know if you are, like, actually building a community that's, like, that's going to, you know, care about what you're doing? Uh, and how long does that take? Uh, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're building a community if you're if you're actually talking to people. Communities, people talking. It's not just a bunch of numbers sitting in a Discord or you know on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is. It's a community. Think about the word community, right? Think about a bunch of people sitting around a campfire talking about stuff. Uh, if you've got that kind of a vibe going, if it's people talking about the the thing that you're that you're representing, whether it be horror games or retro games, indie games, whatever it is, then you're building a community. You're not just building a platform. You know, uh, like an outward facing, like, hi, we make announcements. Like, you're actually, if you, t- if you talk about community, it should feel like a community. Well, I mean, that, that is, that sounds nice. But the thing is, is like, what if we want to sell merch? What if we have projects we want to do? How do we know that if, if we're going to launch this project, that people are actually going to care about it? Like, what's an indicator? Uh, if people are going to care? Yeah, people are not just going to say, "Oh, that's nice," and then not buy it. You know? Oh, I don't know. They might. That might happen. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the scary part. God, I'm just. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm still listening. Sorry, I, I don't know if you need my input on this. We always need your input, Ted. I very rarely do you actually need my input. You usually, you <laughs> tell go. me the thing, and I rubber stamp it. There you go. That's called <laughs> trust. Yeah. That's called giving representation real power in the industry. Star has I just, power. She I wants. just want to give developers like real resources and like real information because so many people try to sell developers like like magician smoke like like I don't know, like nothing. Like literally care. Yeah, like develop like here developers this tool is going to help you or here developers here's a piece of advice that doesn't help anybody or that's outdated you know like i just want to give people that want to do this you know something tangible something meaty that they can like dig their teeth into and be like oh my goodness that actually helps me you know yeah i mean that's my my pitch for every developer that i work with is hey we're going to take your twitter following and this other famous person's twitter following and mash them together and they're like that sounds perfect (laughs) because that's like literally what we're doing that that should not have been an everyone silent after that comment. It was. It was... I'm so I'm sorry that I just read that the Trump administration is going to uh, stop funding coronavirus testing at the end of the month. Yeah, well, <laughs> you guys are so fucked. But yeah. uh, I, uh, <laughs> Ted, do you have like anything like specifically uh, that you wanted to ask Dave? Like, um, 
Yeah, I actually do. Because I feel like we're uh, at a kind of a point right now where a lot of people are struggling with how to create their own communities, um, how to create the voice for their communities, and are worrying about how to create that voice positively and in an inclusive manner. So what do you think is important for not only being able to be yourself, but also being able to be a version of yourself that... uh, is the best version of yourself. I don't know how, how much, how much of your online presence is, uh, censored and how much of self-reflection did it take for you to get to where you are? I don't know. Is that, is any of my online presence censored? I mean, you guys saw me on the PC gaming show. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, it's, you know, not, not really the, the, I've built a brand out of kind of being able to say and do whatever the fuck I want. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's, that, passes down to our games obviously there's times to you know put on a shirt and tie and clean it up uh you know sometimes i gotta go talk to the local diplomats down here in new zealand and i'm not going like shit fuck fuck shit piss Mm -hmm. uh when i'm talking to them um but i think i realized a long time ago that people really like my certain brand of bullshit and just being kind of open and honest whether it was when i was writing or when i started marketing games um, and then when I started working in game development, and it took a while for people, because there would be like people, oh, you can't, Dave, you can't, can't, you can't make, you know, meme videos. Like back when I was working on Rise of the Triad, I made a video that was like mostly fucking memes. It was like a 20-minute, you know, multiplayer gameplay video that was like a Kraken video where I just put like silly words on the screen while people were exploding, and they're like, Dave, that's unprofessional. You can't do that. And then the video got like 200,000 views, and they were like, oh, maybe you can do that. And I was like, <laughs> and it got, and it got to the point over these last 10 years where people have just, I've got the track record that people just trust me and they know that i'm gonna do what's do what's best for the brand uh and do what's best for our games and always speak authentically and that's what i always say to people like you got to find your voice you know the stuff that like i do for new blood doesn't work for rocket works i can't you know be you know tweeting about anime titties from the station ears account it's not that kind of a game with doesn't have that kind of an audience right um you know you've got to play it more straight um but for me, you know, for my brands and stuff, it's just about being authentic and being, you know, real and obviously being a real person who will answer your questions about our games. Uh, but with other stuff, I mean, with horror stuff, like for you guys, I think it's about, you know, knowing what horror fans want and giving them what they want and getting them excited about new things. Horror fans are some of the most engaged, craziest fans ever. I remember when the Friday the 13th guys were looking for investment uh, and nobody would give it to them. They didn't even want what? that much. I, I can't tell you how much. Um uh, it was, you know, there was like a, you know, low, low seven figures for the game. And they already had the proof of concept and the Kickstarter and everything. And they were out there looking for like investment and nobody would give it to them. And I was like, are you out of your mind? Like, do you like they put up a gameplay trailer for that game and it had 750,000 views in like six hours. Yeah. Uh, it's like, do you have any idea? You've got the cross section of one of the biggest horror franchises of all time, and the big end gaming, and you've you've got that. Like, it does. The game could be hot dog shit, and it's going to sell a million copies. Yeah. The game came out, and it was, you know, it's it's okay. You know, it's like a solid seven, eight out of ten, depending on who you ask. And they still sold like four million copies. You know why? Because it's Friday the Thirteenth. It's Dude. got Jason. It's got Jason stuff in it, and they could not raise xxxx amount of dollars. Nobody in no none of the video game publishers wanted to give them a fucking dime and i was like that is insane i can't if i had the money i would have given it to them mm-hmm. i was i couldn't i couldn't believe yeah. it people people do not the intersection of gaming and horror is a absolute gold mine uh, and with some yeah. of the most engaged fans that they are, the same people that watch horror movies late at night are the same people that play video games. Who would have guessed 
you know, and it's big and it's diverse. You know, uh, you know, it's not just a bunch of, you know, sweaty old white dudes that watch horror movies. It's everybody. And the same thing about games. Um, and it was just that blew my mind. Um, so if you find an authentic voice there and, you know, the biggest some of the biggest podcasts in the world, horror podcasts, some of the biggest YouTube yeah. channels in the world, horror, you know, you people love that shit. Some of the biggest Kickstarters, horror movies. I just funded another one in search of madness or whatever it was. Um, so, like. You know, if you can find an authentic voice about that in a place where people can come and discuss, you guys do, you know, with Dread X, it's indie horror. And the indie horror scene right now is exploding. And it's been yeah. exploding yeah. with guys like Puppet Combo and Airdorf and David and Torpal Duke and all these people that make all these awesome games. Uh, they just need someone to help, you know, lift them up and find their voice and find a community and find players and fans. And the rest should take care of itself. Yeah. No, I just I mean, posted mm-hmm. for you guys how much Friday the 13th made in Kickstarter. I want you to look at that number. <laughs> yeah, 823,000. That's a lot. That was just the Kickstarter. And then it <laughs> ended up selling like 4 million copies. And they couldn't even work on it anymore because of the lawsuit or whatever. So they had yeah. to um, they had to stop working on the game because of the lawsuit with the original rights holders and Fox or whatever the fuck that was. No, it, was, um, it was the guy that Randy did all that. It's, uh, yeah. He said, and they knew it was coming. Like, <laughs> but yeah. they made all that money anyways. Yeah, yeah and then and then and now uh, and now you know Ilphonic and those guys basically they do licensed games now. That's what they do: licensed movie games. The Predator game they just came out with. You know, it's another one. You know, not a you know not a nine out of ten triple A game, but it's good. It works. It's fun. They got big deals, and it's making millions of dollars. You know why? Because yeah. people like the Predator, and they like multiplayer games. You know, it be you know, licensed games used to be a really big deal back in the day, like in the PS One era. I remember those diehard games were some of my favorite PlayStation games, and then they kind of got went away for a while because of the rights and the cost of doing rights to licensed movie games and stuff just became so prohibitive. Uh, and you know, I like the fact that Ilphonic has kind of found their niche with doing stuff like Friday the Thirteenth or the Predator game. Who knows what they're gonna do next? Maybe it'll be a licensed, you know, uh, Rocky game or Commando or you yeah. know. Uh, a RoboCop. Holy shit! Why don't we have a RoboCop game? You know, well, RoboCop's in Mortal, uh, Mortal, the new Mortal Kombat. Yeah, he's in Mortal. He's in Mortal Kombat. Yeah, but like, why don't we have a full? Could you? Do you have any idea how many copies a fucking RoboCop game would sell? Like yeah. a double A one, even? Like, I would lose my mind. Yeah. No, I agree. That's like goes to police brutality. We support. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right, so I just want to like also like make a point. We just said like this is why IP like intellectual property is so powerful. I have so many indies that are like coming to me and be like, I have the I have this game, I have the story, I have these characters. I was like, yeah, but like, how are you going to make people care about these characters? And like, a thing that New Blood does really well, why like part of why they're so successful is like the branding. Like they're not they're not just putting like an IP on Dusk or Faith. Like they put IP on New Blood itself. Like at the New Blood. New Blood has its own branding. And so it's not like the games are like pushing New Blood up. It's New Blood makes the games look good, right? And at least that's the perception that the so so they know that if a new blood a new New Blood comes out, like a you know, Spaceman, like it's gonna be good. You know, like it wouldn't be as good with another publisher. Yeah. So I, that's I, don't, why, like, I don't think that unfortunate Spaceman would have all the players it has now if it didn't have uh yeah. new blood backing. I think it's a great game. I just saying that like mm-hmm. there's a lot of great games that don't get support. 
Yeah, that's why like Dread needs to like we like need to spend those three years, you know, building up the brand of like Dread and not just like yeah. like here's our developers and here's the games they make. Like, uh, and I say this because I've worked for so many companies that have like focused on like just the developers and like having them, but uh, but like the company itself, like nobody knows that they exist. You know, <laughs> nobody knows the company that are making these games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a problem. Dave, you just <laughs> tweeted about RoboCop. You just you really feel about this, don't you? Yeah, could you imagine? <laughs> oh my god! I um, yeah. What was I was gonna say? Something profound. I, I usually do, but I can't remember now. Um, I think we're at the <laughs> end, of, end of my attention span here. I think Dave's at the end of his attention span too. I think we have some I, attention. Spans. I never have an attention span. I have zero yeah. attention span. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I have to put like good food and booze, and then dogs. Yeah. Like that's... <laughs> then all my attention's on the dogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, <laughs> um, you know, horror, horror is the most profitable uh, genre out there. It really is. Um, it is. Yeah, and it is. And it is consistently overlooked. I horror and metal make the world go round, and they are consistently overlooked by you know reviewers or mm-hmm. and award shows. And it's crazy. My favorite thing was when Jordan Peele came out and said, "Get Out is a horror movie." You know, because he wanted to let people know, like, hey, horror movies couldn't be good. Horror movies can make a lot of money. Oh, you all these 9 out of 10 and 10 out of 10 reviews, guess what? It's a horror movie, and you're going to have to give awards to a horror movie. How does that feel? Like, uh, you know, horror and metal especially, it's like it's put off as, like, this, you know, this counterculture thing that's not worthy of awards unless you're, like, you know, the Phantasmagoria Awards and shit like that. It's like, no, start giving awards to horror and metal. And when I say metal, I don't mean giving Grammys to Jethro Tull, you know, and Metallica, you know. It's like, you know, start giving out real awards to real metal and real horror for being good and being just as good as the schlocky, cheesy, you know, movies and music and poppy shit that gets all the awards, you know. We're we're out here too. I'm sorry. Are we too bloody and vulgar for you? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Basically, every studio that has a huge presence has built its entire, fa- f- f- uh, f- what is it? The the financial library on uh, kids movies and horror. Horror are just kids yeah. movies for adults. Yeah. It's like uh, you know where are the awards for Midsummer? Where are the awards? What was Aries the film before Hereditary. that? Hereditary. Uh, yeah. Where are the awards for Hereditary? Are you gonna give that shit to Green Book? Yeah, like, Hereditary was the best yeah. movie that came out that year. Yeah, sure. like, where are the awards for Mandy? Where are the awards for Hereditary? Like, if, you know, I, th- I think I had a tweet, like, you know, and I had a thing. Like, what would you, what did you talk about and see more? Green Book or Hereditary? People didn't even know what the hell Green Book was. Some white savior, whitewashed bullshit movie that's like, you know, that... Uh, uh, you know, that I mean, people, oh, I like, I like Viggo Mortensen and Marcella, so therefore, awards... Yeah. You know? and, and I, uh, I will say Green Book wasn't a bad movie, but I don't think it was no, a good movie. But it also, like, it, it's just, you know, I'm not going to talk about the history of the characters in Green Book and stuff. There's been a million YouTube videos you can watch about it and yeah. White Savior nonsense and the fact that it was, like, not even true. And the family, like, was like, uh, that wasn't our father's story, but go off, I guess. Um and then, you know, movies like, you know, that everybody was talking about, like Ari's films, like Midsummer and Hereditary. Hey, how many awards did The Lighthouse get? fucking zero yeah that movie uh, was fucking amazing yeah you know so it's like oh or the witch you know these are movies that like you know everybody talks about and we're like you know we're we're, we're cast off to the side as like ah yes horror 
spooky horror thing. You go hang out over there with the slasher films and stuff like that. Yeah, it's I like, mean, come on. And the weird thing is, is that horror is such a broad net genre that uh, like so many things get cast into. Like the Conjuring and the Black the Black Coat's daughter have like fucking nothing in common, other than yeah. the fact that they're both called horror movies. Which is why yeah. it's always it's always really weird when people have these conversations about like what is and isn't horror. These these insular. Yeah. Uh, argumentative gamer groups that are like, oh, you know, the newer Resident Evils aren't real Resident Evils. So it's like horror has been such a diverse genre for so long yeah. that to try the, to put a collar on it is weird. Yeah, and the there's context, something for. Uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say there's something for everyone. Yeah, I was about to say like the people who actually make these movies and games don't care. Yeah. You know, we enjoy everything. We want to see everything. Like it, it just it's entertainment to us. It's not something. It's always people that are not involved that have these like really specific ideas of what it should be or should not be i was fucking arguing with someone on one of these forums that will remain <laughs> unnamed that uh he was saying that he he hates the last of us 2 because all the streamers that he plays doesn't like it and he hasn't played it but he doesn't believe he actually has to play the thing to have an opinion on it because he wow. can get the story from watching a three-hour youtube video or three hours worth of youtube content for a 30-hour game and i was like bro you've gone from like not only saying that i don't have to make the thing to understand it but i don't even have to play the thing to understand it I can watch videos where people recap the thing and have an understanding. That's something I fucking hate, by the way, because I sat through every goddamn Human Centipede movie, and I fucking hate Human oh, Centipede God. movies. Oh, God, why would you do that? Because it was a time in horror when I was still a film critic where people were talking about Human Centipede shit, and I needed to be able to have an opinion to come to the table and converse about why I didn't like the Human Centipede. And it's like, <laughs> that's the thing, is that if you don't watch the thing, you can't have a fucking opinion on it. That's my, that's my take. Yeah. Well, yeah. I have a. I already have an opinion on Human Centipede, and I've never seen them. So, oh. But Jesse, Jesse, you're the first to admit that your opinions are usually wrong. Yeah, that's true. There we go. On the Human Centipede is right. But he's got a really deep voice, therefore he has authority. Like (laughs) his opinions sound more important. That is true. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Is uh, (laughs) is disgusting, and I'm not going to watch him. Uh, I think that a lot of those, like, what you were saying earlier about, like, horror movies not getting legitimacy has everything to do with the fact that, like, certain people are in power, right? And the same people have been in power, and if they don't like something, therefore, like, no one else can possibly like that. But that's changing. Like, that's why I'm so excited about niche communities and what they're doing. Um, is because that won't matter anymore. You know, like, Academy Awards, you know, we have Netflix. Like, why would we care about Academy Awards? Why would we watch this? Like, uh, you know, like, with, the game, like, all the game awards, like, is, like, if you talk to the developers, like, it's like, oh, cool, I got an award, but that's, you know, not the, that's not why we made this game, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, like, an add-on. So I think that people, especially when it comes to, like, game reviews, for example, like, they look at, like, IGN and these places, Metacritic, whatever, and they look at their reviews and these numbers, and everybody says that these numbers don't matter, but at the same time, they still talk about them. So yeah. I guess they still matter, but uh, at the same time, everyone has their own taste, and, like, that's the way the world is now. Like, all of these institutions that we have that are setting up uh, you know, that horror is bad and, you know, cert- like, I don't know, rom-coms and all these other things, dating games are bad, you know, they're all gonna, they're all gonna fade away and, like, we're all just gonna watch specifically what we want to watch. It's gonna be all I, customized. I disagree. I don't think that they're gonna fade oh. away because I think that the institutions of, of critics are always going to exist because there's, like, most of the oh, people... Yeah. Most of the people that. that pursue careers in being uh, professional jack-offs, which is basically what all critics are, myself included, um, mm-hmm. are are very high opinions of themselves, high 
uh, highfalutin, hoity-toity. I know a lot of people that say horror isn't a real genre because it should get mo- it shouldn't appeal to such base emotions. It should be elevated, and art should be elevated. And they like literally they like really hold these opinions, and uh, like these are real humans, kind of. Um, but uh, that is always going to exist. But what 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 won't change is the fact that these things keep selling, and that because that's just been the case forever. I- I don't think you're disagreeing with me. <laughs> I think you actually are. Okay, so for example, uh, if you look at the the Game Awards showcase, it's all these AAA's games, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have this small category for indies, like best indie of the year. And the funny part is that there's way more indie games that there, than there are AAA games. So it's like the same five AAA games that get yeah. various different kinds of awards. And like not everybody yeah. in the studio is getting credit for those awards of like, you know, like a thousand people made this game, but only like two people get credit for this game. Yeah. Well, like these like solo indie devs like have to compete with this like one tiny category and it's just laughable because that's yeah. what people think the game industry actually is is uh you know yeah and not the that uh, um sorry <laughs> but the game awards needs their sponsors and you can get your sponsors if you uh give uh some call of i don't, know, I don't really think they gave call of duty an award but it was all very predictable i haven't played i've never played call of duty to be honest so um, I heard it's great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Call of Duty games are like consistently solid. But you know, Dave, what do you think about Call of Duty? Uh, it's uh, the Modern Warfare is really good. Um, I'm glad they've kind of come back around to like realizing what you know. And it's funny uh, that you know the campaign's good too, but nobody talks about the campaign. I, in, a, in a perfect world, they just make a new campaign every year and just keep updating the multi- multiplayer and have people pay a subscription service. I think that would do very well for them. Uh, but it's you know it's good. I like that. Um, you know it it kind of it's you know everything's cyclical, so we're kind of getting back to you know moving really fast and holding lots of weapons. Where a few years ago it was all about you know scripted cover and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know it's still a fun joke to make. Like ah, Call of Duty's like the big you know. In a big brown military shooter, and then we make these cool indie games. But you know, actually, Call of Duty is pretty good now. So, <laughs> it's yeah. Whatever. Well, I mean, uh, who would release a game where you can only hold two guns and there's no sprint button? Now, I mean, who would do that? Other than New Blood with unfortunate spacemen. Yeah, it'd just be us. <laughs> uh, proof that I've I've played the game. Uh, yeah. Jesse, what kind of uh, review did you give Maximum Action? What, what score did you give it? Uh, I think you said be right back. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jesse's air, <laughs> conditioner. Like... Jesse's air conditioner. What what score did you give Maximum Action? It was a, it was a trick <laughs> question. We don't we don't do scores anymore. Uh, I wanted to see if you knew that. Well, I want to ask Dave, what is one game that actually scared you? Um, what's a game that actually scared me? Faith. Wow. Uh, Faith, yeah, Faith kept me up at night, and I think that's when I was playing it to see if I wanted to work with Airdorf. Um, it's just, you know, I. it's funny. It gives you so little but so much, and even though it's, you know, it's basically one-dimensional with the rotoscope cutscenes and the really well-told story through the notes, like, I remember all the characters, you know, Amy and John and Michael and, you know, just uh, what happened to them and, you know, and the story of these games and it feels very real in 3d even though it's so uh lo-fi and it's crazy how you're able to you know it's like a good book how it's able to conjure up so many uh cool visuals and emotions you know with 
with such little visual fidelity, and I thought that was really cool. Um, and yeah, Faith scared me. I would look at the end of the bed for, uh, you know, for Amy Martin uh, and stuff like that. You know, dark shadow in my closet. You know, it'd be. Uh, uh, it's Faith. Faith was definitely a scary one for me. I don't play a lot of horror games. I don't like spooky games. I don't like spooky stuff. Uh, so, so everything scares me, I guess. That's why what, like what was his answer for the game that we thought was scary? Faith. Oh, well, surprise, I'm shocked. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, it, partially because it's a new Blood game and also because uh, it is people really like it. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't give money to it if he didn't have an emotional response. This I think is that's true. I think this is a, another, like, I talked to, like, okay, so I almost worked for several publishers, but the reason why I chose Dread over the other people is because, like, they just, like, were like, we just need indie games. We need just, like, we need to just give money to these games. And I'm just like, but what do these games have to do with you as a publisher? Like, why do you care? And they're like, I don't know. Like, we just, and I'm like, you need to have, like, a, <laughs> you need to have some sort of base as to why this game is good. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to sell it to anybody else. You know, just because your friend made a game doesn't mean you should give your friend money. Like, you should have, like, I, I saw this I'm one game. Friend, you should give me money. Yeah. I, I've seen, like, arcade games and, like, in these big game showcases, arcade games. And I'm like, oh, like, I love arcade games, but this looks really ridiculous next to these high fidelity 3D games that have, like, actual characters and storytelling, you know, narrative and stuff like that. And then you have this arcade game that's not really doesn't say anything. Like, I, I just don't think that those two things, like, fit together. So, um, I feel like publishers should really know, like, and I feel like Dave has a the best ones uh. <laughs> has a good uh, tuner, sig- like I don't know, to like figure out. Okay, like I felt something with this. I know how other people are going to feel about this. Yeah, I knew, yeah. and I knew Faith was a thing. You know, Faith was already a thing before we started working with Airdorf. Um, you know, obviously, you know, huge. You know, Markiplier, Jesse Cox, you know, PewDiePie, you name it, had already played Faith. Um, Mortis was a big meme. Like, it already had a huge fan base. There was tons of fan art. And so we kind of just co-opted that. Um, but also, I, I, you can you can understand why something's big and not by not really getting it. So when I finally started playing it, I, I got it. I was like, oh, this guy's this guy special in the same way David's special, same way Dylan's special about the way their approach to certain type of games. And you've seen now, you know, with stuff like Summer Night, Airdorf, he's, he's an auteur. The dude's, you know, really, really good at, at horror uh, and spooky stuff and atmosphere. You know, Summer Night, I remember I played it on stream. I was like pooping my pants because you know what's coming. You know something's mm-hmm. coming. It's not just a game. It's be a Tiger Electronics picking up mushrooms. You know stuff's going to get weird, and then it does. Um, you yeah, know, I, think, so, uh, I, I think that what you uh, – there's there's a couple developers I've worked with that I have a very similar opinion on. It's, uh, you know, the, the guy that made Outsiders, uh, Kyle Frost, he's got this, like, innate ability to make things scary and to create – a, a like a like I, outsiders is I, I thought it was so impressive because he made like a, you know the whole thing all the things were made in a week but he made this whole house and the cornfield and all these scares and like made them effective within a week he's just got this like sixth sense to how, like how to make an effective scare and I, I that's like a developer that I you know have this this trust in because of his unique vision and it's not as visually distinct as a uh, maybe like Airdorf's game is, but he's got like a, a real grasp of like fundamental horror. So I, I know what you mean by that, which is that you, you, you meet this developer and you see the things that they make and they, they've just got this sense about them to how to, how to make things that are good. 
You know what? I, I, like, kind of, and here's the thing: like, New Blood all gets along really well, and actually, so does uh, Dread X. Like, we 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 have our own little Discord for the developers, and they get along really well. Like, everyone's really nice, everyone's really supportive. Uh, they even talk about personal stuff sometimes, and I'm like, whoa, this is a good sign, you know, that people are getting along and trust us. Um, and so, is is there a thing with like, if you like, if you like somebody's game, you get a sense for their personality and who they are? No, so no, you, no, that that's totally no? not. But I, I found that a lot of the developers that I really like their games, when I meet them in person, they are very, very different. I, I, oh, okay. I actually don't make the decision about whether or not to hire someone to bring them on until I've actually talked to them and had, like, a conversation. Um, yeah. Because, like, uh, you will get a very, very, like, some some developers that make good games are very strange and antisocial people. Dave, can oh, you yeah. back that Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Dave, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Sorry. Did you hear what I said? Were you listening? Mm-hmm. Kinda. Uh, I was just saying oh, that yeah, she said. Sidetracked. I, I was saying that um, she was saying that. Can you tell like if you're gonna like someone based on the games they make? And I said no because like there no. are some people I know that are really, really, really good game designers, but they're incredibly like antisocial and hard to get along with people. Yes, I've no. had. A, there's been a few. There's been a few of those for us because you know Nubla is not really a publisher, but there's been people who be like, hey, you should work with this person. We played their games and stuff, and then we get to talking, and they're just not a good fit. You know, Nubla's not. When we bring someone into Nubla, they're you know like a part of the family. You know, they're like, oh, why did you publish this game and not this game? Why you work with this person, and not this person? It's like because we want people who are going to be a good fit and work across all our games. Like with Ultra Kill and Hakita, originally mm-hmm. the guys really weren't into ultra kill um and i was like 50 50 on it i knew it needed some work but it was work that you know with a few design tweaks it would be good to go um and i but i really liked Takeda, and he was really persistent and really wanted to work with us and really you know respected us and the guys that work here and the, you know wanted to be a part of new blood and work across the games and you know that was over the course of a year and i was finally like you know what i think i really want to work with this dude uh and you know and i i worked with him to get the game into a better spot and i re- i brought it back to my guys because it's not you know uh we're not a you know dictatorship it's not like dave says you know obviously i appointed david creative director and take the uh you know the opinion of everybody if we're going to work on something or not and the guys are still pretty split split on ultra kill so i had to go back with hockey and work on it and represent to the guys be like listen guys there's something here people are going to want this game it's it's different to the rest of our games you know it's a it's a really cool cross of devil may cry type stuff and you know our type of retro shooter stuff and I, it's got a big following already hockey is a really cool dev he works really fast he iterates well he takes direction really well i think it'll be a good fit turns out i was right and now everybody's you know loves ultra kill and hockey has been a great fit and everybody loves working with him uh and that's what it takes sometimes you know but sometimes it's not a good fit there have been some really high profile games that we could have worked on that just it didn't make sense for us and developers didn't really vibe you know it's it's like anything in life you gotta have energy you gotta have that right kind of energy with people i'm gonna sound like a dirty hippie but you know whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a business partnership if you don't vibe if you don't vibe with someone it's it's just not gonna work yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that, and then there is also the case that there are plenty of people that I I really like them as people, but working with them is fucking impossible. Yeah, yeah, I Absolutely. brought that up. I brought that up because uh, we we mentioned about Airdorf and like Faith and how it already had, you know, it was already pretty good. So I was just seeing like sometimes when you play a game, you get a sense of somebody's personality, yeah. right? So well, that's it, why that's why I mentioned that. Airdorf as a person is way different than Faith. Like him as a as an individual, like talking to him, chatting with him, mm-hmm. learning about all the things he does. He does so much shit. Like you, you look at Faith and you're like, oh, there's something here, but this was probably like Erdorf is he does a lot of shit with his life. 
And it's, it's, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, you both of you know him way more. See, here's the thing like, New Blood developers uh, have not really opened up to me yet. So, so uh, I haven't been able to, like, they haven't, like, I haven't had a real conversation with them. So I don't know them. Yeah. I I will, I'm, the only reason I'm being hesitant in what I say is that Erdorf also is like a private person. He doesn't like his personal information put out there. But he he, he does like a lot of stuff and he has like a very, very like, like packed life and you look at faith and you're like oh this is a, a cool game but it's probably you know some artist's passion project or whatever like you know that doesn't but erdorf like actually does a lot of things well i feel like well i don't know about that but i feel like it's very hard to make a game that good but with like simplicity you know you know what i mean like a lot of people think that that game would be easy to make and there's obviously copycaps to erdorf like now he has his yeah. own genre like erdorf games yeah. <laughs> but like it's actually like the way he does storytelling the narrative how his art fits into like sound design and all that it's very sophisticated and uh that's why it resonates with so many people yeah. the themes that he uses like the pacing that he has like what information he chooses to give to people to what he doesn't like as a storyteller like i actually felt like i learned a lot about him as a person through his uh... game yeah. Ed, Bo- just- Ed, Boone- Ed Boone just retweeted my RoboCop tweet. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Dave, we just... Okay, fine. I'm done. <laughs> Continue. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to interrupt. I'm just, uh, I'm just complimenting Eardor, if that's all. He's yeah. the best. He's so good. Yeah. And he's amazing. Yeah. And he fits in so well. You would not expect him to be such a shit poster. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he's been, like, helping Torpal Duke, and I love it. Yeah. He's been helping Torpal so much. And I'm well, like, they're, yes. They're friends in real life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They and I don't know. They they both seem really cool. Uh, yeah, to college together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we're uh, pushing the two hour mark here, so we need <laughs> to wrap this up. But uh, uh, you know, this this pro, this podcast is supposed to be about uh, giving people lessons on how what they should do if they want to enter the industry. So, uh, Dave from your long career that you've had, uh, cause you're, uh, I think 75. Um, yes, I'm a hundred. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm a time Lord. I am 500 years old, <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you've had a pretty, uh, robust career, but it's easy to look at someone like you and say, Oh, he's doing well now. He must've always been doing well. Um, so what do you advise to people at coming into the industry, what they should do and also how to stick with it? Oh, uh, don't go move home with your parents. Uh, don't don't work in games. Uh, get a job at McDonald's. Um, no, I think it's a. And I tell this to people a lot: is find your niche. Don't be like, I want to work in games. I want to work at some big AAA studio on my favorite franchise. You do not want to work on your favorite no. franchise. I will God. tell you that immediately. <laughs> you do not want to work on like GTA or Assassin's Creed yeah. or or any of these Call of Duty unless you you be a cog. Don't be a cog. Be the whole fucking wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, join join something small. Work your way up. Find a place where you fit. I mean, I I never I never dreamed of being in video games. It was never an idea I had. I mean, I did try to start my own video game company when I was eight, but I didn't know that was like a thing I was going to do when I was older. I thought I was going to work at like an ad agency or like a Lehman Brothers type place. You know, grew up in New York. York, you know, Jew boy with a marketing degree. Um, but, you know, once I realized I was good at this, I kind of, you know, kept doing it. When I started with the Rise of the Triad guys and realizing I was good at marketing a video game to a certain audience because it was about me and I kept, you know, 
kind of working on that niche and now I'm kind of like the you know the the retro shooter guy I'm trying to branch out from that but when you realize you're good at something keep doing that thing don't try to be like the best at everything nobody's a jack of all trades like you know I'm slowly branching into horror to like kind of you know expand my horizons and get better at other things but like you don't see me you know working on fighting games like I wouldn't know the first thing about how to make a good fighting game you know maybe mm-hmm. one day but like you know it's a indie games are not just like a big blanket you know if, if you're good at something and you and you can bring in other people who are good at that thing and be successful together you know i think that's way you're going to find yourself doing way better than just trying to throw a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks so you know it's life in general just find where you fit you know and some people don't really fit anywhere you would say that the kind of stuff we do doesn't really fit anywhere our shit's not mainstream this podcast isn't mainstream dreadx isn't mainstream new blood's not mainstream but we've got a core audience of people who really like what we do and really we really like doing it for them so i'm just gonna keep doing it yeah it's good advice just uh be true to yourself and uh don't uh yeah I, i like the i like the message there so um Anyways, I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. So um, once again, uh, Dave, thank you for joining us. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been great getting some of your insight on this, you know, wild west of uh, creativity that is the current indie market. And, um, you know, once again, Star, thank you for joining us. You can find more about all of the New Blood games uh, on Twitter. If you just go on Twitter, it's actually like part of Twitter. Just like there's a New Blood feed for all of their developers. Uh, you don't have to follow anyone. It's just automatic with Twitter now. Um, but yeah. no, you should go to uh, New Blood Interactive, their Twitter, or, uh, you know... At New Dave Blood. Will... Hmm? We are at New Blood. Yeah, all this, all of these will be linked in the uh, description below, as well as, uh, you know, you can follow uh, Star over here on Twitter as well. Also, don't forget to follow DreadXP and also join our Discord, which there should be a link for that in the, uh, the description and also in our Twitter. So, uh, you know, feel free to join our Discord and talk about horror video games with other people that are interested. Um, and, you know, we've got a pretty lively community over there, and it's been really awesome seeing people really uh, kind of, you know, that growing. There's always space for more people there. So, um, anyways, uh, thank you all for listening, and... Uh, I will see you all next time where we interview some guy. It's on my schedule. I just can't remember what it is. But I I swear it's good. (laughs) It's super great. I just don't remember the guy's name. Oh, it's the guy that did the music for Man of Medan. So that should be fun. Uh, Oh, very cool. Yep. Thanks for having me, guys. Dave, I'll see you you later. You're welcome. Anything for you guys. All right. And and remember, always listen to Star. Oh, my God. (sighs) Oh, my God. Sorry, that, I was not expecting that. <laughs> From me? Cool. Yeah, I'm alright. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'll see you all later. Bye! Bye! Bye. Alrighty, and recording. And done. scene. And scene.
family guide for life.